0: Hey, welcome to the Hell has an Exit podcast. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 833-999-1877 to speak to a specialist. This show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com. Hey, welcome to Hell Has an Exit. I'm your host Brian Alzate. On this show, I interview a lot of recovering addicts, people who have stories of redemption, overcoming struggles and adversity, and people who have found the exit of hell. Today, I have a good friend of mine, Brad. I've known Brad. I've known you basically since I've been clean. I really got close to you when uh, when Kenny was sponsoring me. You know, rest in peace, Kenny you know he helped me out tremendously you know I remember going to his house and you guys were cooking swordfish and just hearing like the stories about like you and him talking about, like Vietnam I remember he was saying that his wife would wake him up with the lights because if they woke him up they would turn on and off the lights to wake him up because then if not he would start having flashbacks oh, yeah yeah so I remember like just hearing your guys' stories and just being like in awe of that yeah
1: when i first got clean I, i'd go to the beach everybody go to the beach and mm-hmm. sometimes th- there'd be helicopters going by over the beach and i'd jump out of my out of my chair or out of the sand wherever i was really? sitting just jump out yeah from the yeah from because i would you know i heard the chopper noise and mm-hmm. it really it got me nervous yeah that was a, a long time
0: ago. <laughs> so uh w- where's your story start you know, it, it's funny.
1: Uh, I, I believe that uh, my, story, my story really started before I ever picked up a drug. Mm-hmm. I, guess, I guess I came from a household. Uh, it was dysfunctional. My parents were always fighting and everything, and they were always fighting. And my father, I think, took a lot of his um, own shit that he was going through. Whether it was work or whether it was with my mother or whether it was a family, mm-hmm. whatever it was, he took a lot of that stuff out on me and he was very abusive to me. You know, I can remember playing with my father when I was a young kid. I'd, I'd play catch with him. Some kids say their father was their, um, the person they looked up to, their idol. Yeah, like their
0: hero. Yeah, Their
1: hero. My hero was Willie Mays. Okay, I don't well, know if you heard of Willie yeah, yeah. Mays.
0: But my hero- I started collecting baseball cards, so I, I have a couple of his cards. So
1: my, my hero was Willie Mays. So when I was a little kid, that was my hero. And you know, and, and my father really didn't get to play with us once. I could tell you a little story. My mm-hmm. father took me out to play, and you know, we played catch, and I threw the ball over his head. And he uh, took me in the house. He put me in my room. He hit me. He said, stay in your room now. And then he'd come back an hour later or something, and he says, you know, I only do that because I love you. So I was pretty confused as a young kid. Mm -hmm. In school, I was always uh, pretty much a standout. My mother used to go to school all the time and find out that um, he has so much potential. (laughs) his, um,
0: behavior.
1: his, his behavior is not good. What's the disruptive? Yeah. So I had disruptive behavior. I would get in trouble. I would talk out. I might've cursed a teacher here and there, you know, so I was always in trouble before. I'm going to tell you a little story how I, you know, I, I remember my father would be at his um, desk when he'd be sipping beer or something. Mm-hmm. And I would want, and he let me, sip the head off the beer and I said but I don't look at that as that where I really started you know I told you how my father didn't really play with me much well he used to go It's it's a funny thing because I used to go to friends houses and I'd see how their fathers would participate with them and mm-hmm. everything and I used to Cry to myself because I said, You know, my dad wasn't like that. He just wasn't like that. My dad was kind of what you call a functioning alcoholic. You know, he started drinking at noon and he stopped when he went to bed. He had an ashtray full of cigarettes that was like a mountain. He'd be smoking one, one would be burning. So my mm-hmm. father had the disease. So anyway, uh, I, I would go to my friend's house. Their father would be making them model airplanes together with them and everything. So I says, You know something? I got to get me a, a model airplane or a model car, <laughs> Yeah. So I went and got a model car, you know, mm-hmm. and I got caught stealing it. So the guy, it was in Woolworths in New York, and the guy brings me to the counter. He says, You stay right here. And he's holding on to me, and, and he's got the model airplane. I don't know if it was mm-hmm. a car or airplane, but he's got it there. And, and he says, Give me the number, your phone number. I give him a phony number. So while he's dialing the phone, I grabbed the airplane and I ran he out took of the off. store and i took off and i felt pretty good you know like i got away with a crime yeah or something.
0: and you got the merchandise and i
1: got the merchandise <laughs> so i went home i went up in the attic we lived in a house with an unfinished attic and i went up in the attic and i opened up the model airplane and there was this tuba glue inside so i took that tuba glue out you know and i smelled it and uh i smelled it again and i never built that model airplane you
0: know, wow. I, I started sniffing glue. So no one even told you to no, sniff it? No, I didn't it. know anything yeah.
1: about that. I didn't know anything about that. And then I started sniffing glue. Wow. So then then I uh, started buying glue in, in the store. Now I'm nine years old, nine, ten years old, maybe, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I was definitely in something like the second or third grade. I'm not sure what it was because I know where I lived. So I started sniffing the glue and then... Uh, I was doing it by myself, and we moved, and we moved to another neighborhood in Queens, and we went to the other neighborhood. I went to a new school. It was like, I'm going to start all over again. Neighbors aren't going to hear my father yelling and screaming, because we always moved, because he was always yelling and screaming, and Mm -hmm. the neighbors were complaining. What part of
0: New York were you living in?
1: Well, I'm pretty much from Queens. Okay. So I was living in Flushing at the time, and uh, I think we moved to Bayside. Bayside when I was about maybe 10 years old, 11 mm-hmm. years old. So I was 10, 11 years old, you know, uh, I might have put the glue down for a minute or two. I always liked playing ball, and I was always in the schoolyard. After school, I didn't go home. I would go in the schoolyard, and when all the other kids were starting to go home to eat, I never went home because I was always scared to go home because of my father. Mm-hmm. I always had a fear about my father. So I was a pretty good athlete, you know, and... Uh, But uh, my lifestyle got in the way of that pretty good, you know. And uh, I went from the schoolyard to the corner luncheonette, you know, and I'm sniffing glue and I'm meeting people here. And, you know, I must have sniffed glue, really sniffed a lot of glue from the time I was 11 until I was 16 years old.
0: That's so crazy.
1: Because when I went to junior high school, I met other guys and they sniffed glue. That were sniffing glue glue too? So I sniffed with them. We used to go down the basements. We'd sniff glue. It was a nice buzz, you know, I Mm -hmm. thought. I mean, whoever realized I was—I knew I was doing the wrong thing, you know? It's not something—
0: But it was, like, harmless.
1: wasn't trying to hurt anybody at the time or anything like that. But so, you know, so that went on. That went on for quite a while. And like I said, I'd go from the schoolyard to the corner luncheonette. Mm-hmm. And the older guys were at the corner luncheonette. So I wanted to be like the older guys. So before you know it, I'm, I'm coming up on 16 years old. One of my buddies that I hang out with, we used to steal cars together— Used to steal cars to go to uh to find where they sold glue in, in a case at a time you wow. know like a stationary store. How would you
0: steal them with like a screwdriver? The cars. Yeah.
1: Well, they were pretty easy back then. What we did was oh, that's another story. So what we did was they'd be easy to open up. You mm-hmm. go in with a screwdriver, open it up, and a lot of these cars back in the '60s, late '50s and '60s. The people would leave them on the on position. They wouldn't shut it off altogether. Mm-hmm. And if they did, you'd just stick the screwdriver in and turn it. It yeah, was simple to start up. Mm-hmm. Well, check this out. So I'm 15 years old. We steal this car, me and my friend. I don't even know if he's around today, but maybe he'll hear this. Mm-hmm. And we're driving along. We're trying to go to the to buy a case of glue. And all of a sudden, I look behind us in the there's a horn hunking, hunking and hunking. It wound up, we stole a cop's private car. Oh, man. All of a sudden, I'm hearing shooting, and back in them days. The
0: day- cop was shooting at you? Yeah,
1: back in them days, you know, they <laughs> shot first and asked questions later. So I hear the shooting. I open up the door, and I get out and run. I had told my mother earlier I was sleeping over a guy's house, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm going to come home. And I came home, I'm running and running and running, and I got home. The next day, I go to the candy store where I hang out, the corner luncheonette, and I pick up the newspaper, and there's a story in there. So-and-so was shot two inches from his heart. It was like it went through his muscle, Mm -hmm. and his accomplice got away.
0: He never snitched on you?
1: No, no, no. Wow. But you know the funny thing about it is the sick part, the disease part, the addiction part, the wanting that attention part. I was telling all my friends I was the accomplice. <laughs> I says, listen, that was me, you know. <laughs> I was the guy in the car. I said, wow, that's pretty cool, you know, whatever. <laughs> so anyway, uh, you know, time went on, and uh, I was hanging around and lunch. And I remember this uh, really simply easy because it was 1967— You remember that year, right, Brian? Yeah, I was there. Yeah, 1967, I was sitting in the back of the luncheonette. I had my old glue bag. Mm -hmm. And one of my buddies, who I used to steal with and stuff like that, he comes home from Harlem. Now, Harlem, you might have heard of the places where the cop the heroin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he came home from Harlem. He says, come with me. We go down the basement. He says, put your arm out. I put my arm out. He sticks a needle in. He says... I feel it. I said, "Wow, that's nice." I want to tell you, I went in the corner. I lit up a Marlboro.
0: Wow! So you went from glue to heroin?
1: I went from glue to heroin. Not, Not even marijuana? Well, I might have tasted a, a little, little marijuana, marijuana here and, here and there, like a but I alcohol, it, but it never took it. Never. It was never my thing. I'm going to tell you. That's a funny thing you mentioned. That I go to with some friends to the woods. Mm-hmm. You know, they cop a quarter a a Colt 45 back in mm-hmm. the day. You know, and and uh, they'd be drinking, and I'd be pouring mine out cuz I wanted to be a part of Be cool of.
0: but you don't like the I, taste I, of I it I wanted
1: to be a part of but I didn't do it. So, you mm-hmm. know, so my thing was I went from glue to heroin. That was like my drugs of choices. So in between that time, you know when I was a kid, when I was 13, 14 years old, I started going uh, getting arrested, going to children's shelters you know, places like that. Then I was 16. I wound up in jail. And from the time I was 16 to the time I was like almost 19 years old, I was in and out of jail. Uh, I spent about uh, eight, 16, 18 months on Rikers Island. Hmm. I want to tell you that I went to
0: jail before puberty. Wow. They mixed the adults and kids back well, then, right? Under
1: 21 was was kids, okay. 16 to 21. But there were guys in there at 21, they looked 40, you know. I'm not kidding you. And I, and I went to jail. I'm telling you, I went to jail before puberty, so they're chirping at me and all that stuff. You know? <laughs> you know, I was a young kid. I looked good. I didn't have no hair on me or nothing, you know. They said, that kid looks good. So one of the guys told me, he says, you got to do something real quick. I says, what am I going to do? He says, somebody's going to grab you. So he says to me, he says, when you go to the mess hall today, so this one guy, big black guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he must have been 6-4, you know. He's chirping, "Hey, you're going to be my kid, you're going to be this, you're going to be that." So my friend says, "Listen, when you get to that mess hall, You get that tray filled up and make sure he's in back here. And once Mm -hmm. it's filled up, you take that tray and slap it right in his face. And back in the day, they didn't have plastic trays.
0: They were metal trays. They were
1: all metal trays. Wow. So I did that. We had a fight there, the big guy and me. I went to the bing. He went to the bing. I came back to the... To the tears, everybody welcomed welcomed me, and they put me on the house gang, and nobody bothered me (laughs) after that. (laughs) So that was pretty cool. I lucked out there, Mm -hmm. you know, but that was, you know, it was a scary situation. I'm not going to tell you I wasn't scared. I didn't have no drugs in my system, you know, Mm -hmm. and here I am. So anyway, you know, so I was in jail for quite a while, and, um, you know, I have a younger brother, and my younger brother's five years younger than me. So I'm about 18. He's about 13. I'm Jewish. My younger brother was crying to my mother that I'm not going to be at the bar mitzvah. My mother, I had all my cases. I was already convicted, getting ready for sentencing to go back. Mm -hmm. But I still had bail if they wanted to bail me. So one day I hear a a little sound and they said, uh, Morrison, pack it up. You're going home. And I, wow, I said, Jesus. So I got out, I got home and I was, you know, clean at the time. I'm not using anything. I'm in jail. I wasn't using anything at the time. Mm -hmm. So when I got home, you know, the bar mitzvah was coming up, and I'm watching TV, and I'm seeing all this stuff going on about Vietnam. Of course, it was in black and white in my house. So (laughs) I see all this stuff going on about uh, Vietnam, you know, and I says to myself, I'm going to enlist in the army. I'm going to see if I could do this. but. You know, I had to be a little manipulation here. You know, Mm -hmm. I got these cases going on. So I go down, I pass the physical, I pass the mental test. I go back to see the recruiter. He says, yeah, everything is great, but you got this one problem. I said, what's that? He says, you got this court case. I said, listen, Sergeant, I said, if you come to court with me, with my lawyer, I think they'll give me a play. And that's what happened. Wow. So I I copped out to four years in the armed forces. So I was always that kid that still liked attention, Mm -hmm. okay? I still wanted to be recognized. I still wanted you to think I was somebody. So when I got to the Army, I volunteered for everything. I volunteered for Airborne, Ranger, Infantry, the whole nine yards. Mm -hmm. I went through all that training. How old were you when you enlisted? I I was like almost 19. Okay. You know, I got everything. They gave me everything. I went through jump school. Now I'm scared when I walk up on a fourth <laughs> flight. I went to jump school. I went to infantry school. I went to signal school. I got awarded. I was in E4 right after my MOS because I scored high grades. They sent me to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and I had volunteered for Vietnam. I had a major resentment. I says, I'm with these guys. They're trying to stay out of Vietnam, You're trying and they're to sending them to Vietnam, and they're sending me to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, to the 82nd Airborne Division. I said, okay. So I go there. I says, uh, you, know, you know, I left grade school in the eighth grade. I never finished the eighth grade. So I says, let me get my GED, you know? So I go and I, I go. I'm taking a test for the GED and there's a sign in the mess hall. It said, re-enlist and go wherever you want and get money. I lit up. It's pretty insane though. I re-enlisted for 10 years. 10 wow. years. Now you talk about living just for today. I was living just for today back then. I wasn't mm-hmm. thinking of the 10 years. I re-enlisted for 10 years to go to Vietnam, and they gave me $10,000. Up front? Well, you know, after the enlistment. Uh-huh. This is like 1970s. Yeah. They gave me $10,000. I bought a car, like a cheap car, you mm-hmm. know, for six $700. It Took me till I was that 19 to get my license. So I bought a car, and I drove home, had my money and everything. I blew everything. I got loaded. I didn't even have enough money for the plane fare. My mother had to pay for the plane fare for me to go to Seattle so I can go to Vietnam. I had my 30 days leave. Wow. And I go to Seattle, and I fly to Vietnam.
0: And you went there with the dope habit?
1: I didn't really have a habit. But you were
0: just using. I was using
1: pretty good. I didn't really have a habit then, Mm -hmm. you know. I'll tell you when I did have a habit, though. So anyway... (laughs) I had a lot of habits when I went in and out of jail. <laughs> that was that, you know. They didn't give you nothing to kick back then. Mm-hmm. I go to Vietnam. I get off the pla- I get off the plane, and it was the longest plane ride I ever been on in my life. It's 24 hours, and you're not sitting in, you know, nice seats. You know, you sit
0: sitting- They're little seats.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I get to Vietnam, and I get off the plane in Cameron Bay, and I see this guy standing there with a black beret. He's got 60 rounds going both ways, and he says, uh, "Who has jump status?" Who's got infantry? Who's got ranger? I got ranger. Who wants hazardous duty? I want hazardous duty. So you get paid a little more money for hazardous duty, mm-hmm. maybe another $50 a month. <laughs> 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 but uh, it was the insanity. Yeah. See, I wanted you. I wanted you, my friends and people that knew me, to know that I was somebody. You know what I mean? I looked for that negative attention my mm-hmm. whole life. Me too. I got sent to the uh, C Company, the 75th Rangers in Mm -hmm. Vietnam, which was a tough outfit. When I tell you how tough it was, there weren't any Jewish fellas. (laughs) It was a tough outfit. Anyway, I went there. Guys, they wore their they wore their heads like Mohawks, you know. They were they these guys were from wow. like, these guys were like from Kentucky, Mississippi, you know, Louis Louisiana, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like all these different uh, rebel states, yeah, you know, yeah. tough guys, you know. So I went with this company, and we were traveling. We went from a place called Tuiwa to Anke. This is like further north. So we went up to Anke. And he said, this is where we're going to stay. And, you know, and then we go out in choppers to the jungle. Mm -hmm. Okay. So my first ride out in a chopper going to the jungle, my sergeant goes halfway down the The propellant line. Right, 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 right. 250 feet. We weren't jumping out of planes. We were repelling out repelling of helicopters. Okay. 250 feet out of, out of the helicopter. And he's halfway down, and they're starting to fire him. And I'm just about almost out of there. So I'm, like, hanging a little bit. He's hanging. And the chopper's is taking back off and going back because, you know. They're getting shot. We're getting shot out. So that was, like, my first day of, mm-hmm. of my introduction. And, you know, of course, when I got back and, you know, everybody, it was cool. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell them how scared shit I was, yeah. but it was cool. So and anyway, uh, you that's guys using M16s? M16s, yeah. Made mm-hmm. by Mattel. Okay. Yeah. M16s. Yeah. We were using M16s. They were pretty light. But in my company, my team, you see, we went out in six-man recon. Mm-hmm. One day you were at a medic. One day you had the 60. One day What's you the 60s? Wa- the M60. Okay.
0: One day you're walking. The po- M60 is the d- big gun. The big. Yeah, 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 yeah. One day
1: you're you're the medic. Okay. One day you're walking point. What's that? You know, you're the first man. You know, you're you walking in front of everybody else. Wow. And one day you got the
0: radio. The radio a sweet day. I don't know really? how
1: sweet it is, but, you know, you got it. I mean, you know, you got the radio. You still got an M16 okay. and a whole bunch of grenades and everything. You know, you got all that stuff. hmm so anyway, when we went from one town to another, they used to hold bags, bags of pure heroin, vials, you know, like paint by number vials. Uh-huh. And the guys on the, on the, on the truck are butting them with the rifles and taking the bags. I says, wow, this seems pretty easy. So now I got all the heroin I want.
0: Wow. What percentage would you say of the people in Vietnam that you were with were doing heroin? You know, I'm going to tell you. Was it you, just like a rebel group was that was a, doing it, or was it like everybody? You know, was there was a movie called Platoon. Yeah, i seen it. Okay.
1: And and they had like the alcoholics one place, and <laughs> then they, they had the druggies the other place. Mm-hmm. Well, those druggies were doing more than marijuana in there. You know okay. what I mean? They didn't really show that in the movie at the time. But they were. But they were, trust me. So we had that. And and it, well, I'm going to say it was about uh, 60 40, 65 35, you know. But everything was kept. You know, quiet. It didn't bother you. You you know, lieutenants and captains, nobody bothered you over there. Not like, you know, not like today. In Vietnam, they didn't bother you. They didn't bother. I had pockets full of this shit.
0: As long as you showed up and did your job, they didn't care if you were loaded.
1: No. I mean, they didn't. It's not like they
0: noticed it or anything. Yeah, they were like, whatever. You
1: know, I mean, you're you're focused on the enemy, you know, Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. I'm there about four months, five months, in and out, back and forth. You know, I've been in a few firefights here and there. And, I, and I'm and i going to tell you a little story. I wish I brought it with me because there was a big write-up on mm-hmm. it. On February 21st, 1971, I was in an ambush between a stream and a trail. And I want to tell you it's about 120 in the shade. And I also was on a little good shit, you know. Mm-hmm. So I nodded in and out, and in and out. And all of a sudden I hear Boom, boom! 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 And we're in a firefight, big firefight, and we were surrounded. Six of us were surrounded by, wow, thirty NVA. Six of us.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I got hit right away. You got shot. I got no. I I got what they call a chai-com grenade. I got hit in the feet. Mm-hmm. You know, and the funny thing, I don't know if you want to call this God luck or whatever, but uh, five minutes before I was turned around the other way, and we didn't wear helmets. We just wore bandanas and stuff because why. They, Helmets make noise. Okay. We were in the jungle and we were looking for tunnels. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We were looking for paths. We were looking for the NVA army. We, were, we weren't fighting Viet Cong. We were up north, we were fighting NVA army.
0: What's that? like? There's... North
1: Vietnamese, they call it hard belts. They they were actually North Vietnamese army, okay? Mm-hmm. Which those kids are trained from the time they're four years old.
0: It's, would it be like almost like special forces of them?
1: yeah well they they were they were trained early on, yeah, so they're yeah. all
0: pretty much yeah
1: they they were really uh they were smart mhm, they were smart, this was their war, yeah, they knew how to fight in the jungle, we were learning how to fight in the jungle, yeah, I was a little little guy back then, you know, i I weighed a hundred and thirty five hundred and forty pounds, you know, mm-hmm. so I used to go into tunnels, I went into tunnels, wow, you know. Never got down all the way, though, Mm -hmm. you know, and there was a lot of that stuff going on. I told you I got hit on February 21st, 1971, I was medevac back to the United States right? but I went to a hospital in Da Nang I went to a What hospital.
0: happened in the ambush? A lot of fire. F- oh, thanks for bringing that. Like, Like uh, 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 Did two, all six of you survive?
1: Two of us uh, yeah, we all six survived. Two of us got hit. Once the thing was going in, I had the radio that day. Mm-hmm. I was calling in the Cobras. You know what the Cobras are? Uh-uh. Well, those are the the helicopters that okay. just shoot fire. Yeah. And they surrounded us with fire and they cleared them out. Wow. Okay. So then I was laying there. My buddy was laying. My other friend was laying there. Guy used to tease me all the time because I talked loud, and um, he got he got hit in the eye. He lost a vision of his eye, and wow. both my feet were blown, both my feet were blown up. The boots were blown off my feet. So all the guys get on the choppers. The choppers are coming in to get us. There's a lot of dead people. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I got on the chopper. They took me back to uh, Da Nang in the hospital. I was mm-hmm. in the hospital in Da Nang, and the boys came to see me. You know, my boys that they yeah. hang out with, uh, do the drugs, the heroin. And they said, Brad, you're going home? You're going medevac." I said, so what?" He says, no customs. I says, really? No customs? And he gives me a, vi- a bag of vials. Mm-hmm. Hundred, I counted them, I think it was 171, 172 vials of pure heroin. Uh,
0: what do you think that is, like, kilo-wise or, like, gram-wise? No, this
1: was pure heroin, vials, mm-hmm. vials. Uh, let's put it this way. I can use one vial and get a about kilo. 10, 15 times. Wow. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, I, well, I'm, I'm good. I don't ever have to worry again. Once too many, thousand will never be enough, right? Mm-hmm. So I made it back and uh I was in uh Saint Albans after I went to Da Nang, then I went to uh Japan, a hospital in Japan. Then I went to uh a hospital in uh Okinawa, new hospital in Okinawa. And then I uh and then I wound up in Alaska for a minute. Mm-hmm. I knew it was Alaska, there was snow on the ground and everything <laughs> when they brought us out. I was still in a you know, in a gurney. And then uh I got home to um saint Albans naval hospital in new york and i was there for a while and i kept using and using of course they're giving me pain medication at the same time and i'm using and using and using and i was so messed up i was hallucinating all over the place that was in february uh i didn't get discharged until july Hmm. and i was retired out of the service but before i was retired out of the
0: service so you didn't take the vials to sell you were just doing them
1: well, I was doing them. I called up a couple of the guys from the <laughs> neighborhood, you know. I turned this one on. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sell. I didn't want to yeah. sell any. I, I, just, I just wanted my, you know. I,
0: Your share. Because
1: if I would have gone off the shit then, I, I would have been very, very sick.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I got out of the hospital sometime in May, but my mother was getting married again. Mm-hmm. She didn't want me around, you know. So she sent me to my godfather in Atlanta, Georgia. I think I had still a lot of shit left, you know. Mm -hmm. So I went to my stay in Atlanta, Georgia, and eventually I ran out of shit. And in Georgia at that time, there was a place called Piedmont Park. And in Piedmont Park, they don't have it today. You were allowed to drive in and out of the park. They had the Black Panthers there, the Junkies there, the Acid Freaks there, this there, that there, all over the place. And I got really messed up. I think I had a a pretty much good drug induced nervous breakdown, and I was still in the service. I was doing the the heroin along with this uh, mad dog acid, they called it. Mm -hmm. And and I'm banging it. Like there's no. Oh,
0: you're shooting the acid?
1: I'm shooting this mad dog acid cut with heroin. Wow. Okay. And I.
0: Tripping. I I went
1: out. I, I mean, I was messed up. I was messed up. So my uncle and my aunt there they got me into the VA hospital there and I was on the the mental ward Mm -hmm. you know I was still limping at the time and so on and so forth you know I wasn't healed up and they put me on that and they uh they they wanted to get me on a methadone program and they said but but they give me methadone and I was still sick because I was doing a lot of heroin so Mm -hmm. when I I got on the methadone I said you know I was still sick so they had me all the way up to 220 milligrams And then they brought me down to like 120. And I was on methadone maintenance for a long time. I'd get a job. I'd lose a job. You know, the unmanageability, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Always wanted to be with the guys hanging out and the drugs and everything. And the women. Women was a big part of it at that time, too. So uh, that's what happened there. I came back. They got me back, and I, I wound up in a, in a VA hospital in, in Fort Hamilton. Now I was so messed up, they were giving me Thorazine, this, that. I, I mean, I was walking like, like a mental person, mm-hmm. you know. They detoxed me off of the heroin. I stayed on a methadone program, and I wanted to get clean. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to get clean.
0: Did you know anyone clean? No, I
1: didn't know anybody clean. All my friends were either dead, in prison, or never heard from them again. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are dead. A lot of them were dead. You know, when we think about it, I was talking with somebody. I met a guy just recently in the rooms who's from my neighborhood, and we were talking about this one, that one, that one. People are dead or doing time for life and everything. It was always a bad scene for me. So one of my childhood school friends that was a good kid, Mm -hmm. very smart. He went on to be an accountant. He went on to uh, have a... One of the largest accounting firms in the San Fernando Valley in California. Wow. Yeah, he's big. He just retired. He said he was waiting until he was 70. I did. <laughs> that was last year. So he just retired. We talk all the time. In fact, he came and gave me a recovery medallion.
0: Mm-hmm. That's cool.
1: About a year and a half ago, you know? It was so nice. And anyway, so he says, Come on, why don't you do the right thing? Come on, we'll go into Manhattan, we'll go to a disco. I says okay, okay, we'll do that. Now I'm on a methadone program, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, so you know I'm, you know, drinking. I have yeah. a little drink here and there, you know. So I'm on the, I'm, I'm, I'm at this place called Wednesdays, and I uh, go in there, we get in there, and him, I get in there, and everything. And uh, back in that day, it was 18. It was the, you know, the limit. You, yeah, you can go in at 18. And this little girl comes walking in, you know. She's a brunette. She's got beautiful blue eyes, about 5'2", and uh, they wouldn't let her in. So I give her the eye. She gives me the eye, and I say, she's with me. Mm -hmm. She gets in. Well, I met her in very late September, and I married her in very early October of the same year. Wow. Now, that's the disease of addiction (laughs) called behavior, obsessive-compulsive behavior. And I married her. And uh, at first, I was doing all right. I was on my methadone, you know, drinking a little booze, smoking. Did she a, know you were on methadone? Smoking a little joint, high? you know what I mean? She got high too, you know. Yeah, okay. but not. I won't say she was an addict.
0: But she used. Yeah, but yeah. she
1: used. Okay. So anyway, uh, I married her, and uh, she said we need to move out of the city because I don't want you near your friends in the city. I said okay, so we moved up to. Uh, Fishkill, New York. I want you to know Fishkill, New York is uh, a sandwich to two of the biggest prisons in New York State. I'd visit my friends, <laughs> and back in that day, they didn't bother you that much. I'd bring a little something to my friends, you know. I was a nice guy. Yeah. I, wanted, I wanted to be loved, you know, and I wanted her to love me. We had a couple of children. I always share this in a meeting, it don't take brains to be, make children, anybody could make children, you know, but it takes a real dad to be a father, you know. I wasn't that guy, I was started to get messed up, I, I, I started to detox off the methadone because I had a plan I was going to come down to sunny Florida to be with my abusive dad mm-hmm. who moved down here. And I detoxed, I left a three year old and a five year old and her and i came down to sunny florida in 1979 i was married for seven years you know i was working as a mechanic because i went to school to be an accountant i wanted to be an accountant i had to get married right away so they said to me well why don't you uh go for car repairs you're always stealing them <laughs> i said okay so i went to uh automotive school uh delahanty automotive in long island city new york and you know, I, I was a mechanic, thought I was anyway. I probably learned more on the job than mm-hmm. I did in school, so I became a mechanic. And I and uh, I really wanted them to come down, my family, and she came down for she says, and she never came back. And I was working a, in, as a mechanic in Fishkill. I decided that I was going to leave, and I came down to Florida, 1979, New Year's. I want to tell you, I came down here with $89 in my pocket. And my father let me stay with him. And I got a job right away. You know, I was smoking a little pot. I was drinking a little booze. And then I met some people.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: A girl and a guy. And the guy's doing Delordas. And the girl is a mule Mm. bringing cocaine in. So right away, I'm doing Delordas and cocaine right away. And that, like, started my run in Florida. You know, I always share with people. I says, don't ever let anybody tell you there was any heroin in Florida <laughs> in the eighties because there, there wasn't. There was all it was meat tenderizer if it was anything. <laughs> so uh, the lauders became my thing. Yeah, the Lord is, and then I mixed it with the coke, and I shot it. Of course, that's what happened. And basically, I was. Uh, I was in and out, I went to detox several times, several times detox, I'd go to detox. You know, you get to detox and you really wanna stop. You really Mm. wanna stop, I really wanted to stop. And I got to detox and I said to myself, you know what, I'm gonna really stop. The first day goes by, still a little sick, they give me something. The second day, I take a little food in my mouth. The third day, I'm sleeping a little better. The fourth day, okay by the fourth day i'm saying to myself you know when i get out tomorrow the fifth day i'm just gonna do one more mm-hmm. now i heard the message i heard the message in 1980 when i was hanging around with this guy and the girl the guy had some friends who were clean who were clean me and him were using but mm-hmm. he had some friends who were clean and uh a lot of these a few of these guys are still around a couple of them died consequences of the disease not the necessarily OD, but, Mm -hmm. you know, from illnesses. So I found the program in 1980. So I bounced in and out from 1980 to 1985. I was in and out, in and out, in Mm -hmm. and out. And finally, I couldn't get no Delordes one night. (laughs) I couldn't do nothing. I was sick. I couldn't get anything. I was broke. I was homeless. They threw me out of the house I was living in. I lost my job. I didn't have a car. I was didn't have no family, I didn't have no friends, I didn't have anything. I walked out of a shooting gallery on May 7th, 1985, and I had a car that I took from the dealership I was working at before they fired me, so I actually stole the car, mm-hmm. and I drove down Federal Highway, and I wanted to kill myself, and I put the pedal to the metal and I never died. And I went back to that house with a friend where I was staying, and I said to him, I said, listen, could you guys give me a chance? And they said, well, if you go to treatment, they'll give you a chance. I says, I'm not going to treatment. Let me tell you what my treatment story is. I just told you. We found a meeting. It was up in Vero Beach, Florida. Oh, wow, that's cool. I was sick. I was still sick. I was sick kicking a habit. Mm-hmm. And I walked into that meeting very sad, you know, very lonely, not feeling too good about myself, my head down. And there was a guy in a wheelchair who was paralyzed from the waist down. His name was Harry B. May he rest in peace. And Harry uh, put his arms around me. He said, "Welcome."
0: Wow, in a wheelchair.
1: In a wheelchair. Harry had 19 months clean. Decided to go out and get loaded, mm. and he hit a tree on his Harley Davidson, and wow. never walked again. So he told me his story, and he said, "This don't have to happen to you, to Brad." Mm-hmm. So good things happened. The people I was staying with let me come back. The guy I worked for, the owner, was a member of a 12-step program, and they gave me a chance to let me come back to work. So I came back to work. Harry picked me up 8 o'clock every night. There was an 8.30 meeting. He picked me up every night, took me to a meeting. I didn't have a car. I went back to work. You know, I made good money as a mechanic, so Mm -hmm. they helped me get a car. I got a car. A lot of things came to me easy, maybe too easy, Because, you know, my ego, you know, we got ego here. My ego, when I had a car, you know, I was starting to get some clothes. I was getting some friends. I was starting to know people. I got involved in the 12-step program. A lot of things started to happen. And, you know, uh, when when I got involved in recovery, I started to feel like, you know, I wanted to get my children. And I was clean. I was doing good. I went to my first celebration of recovery when I was about 90 days. I had about 90 days, and I went, and it was fun. And I liked the whole recovery scene, you know. So I went there and, uh, and it was really nice. And I, I really enjoyed the people and I, I wanted to stay clean. So I got involved in a lot of different things. You know, I got involved in, in going to jails to help other addicts, I got involved going to treatment centers to help other addicts. I loved my recovery.
0: How old were you when you got clean?
1: I was 34. Wow. You know how old I am now? <laughs> how old? I'm 71.
0: Wow. So how many years you got?
1: By the grace of God, in 33 days, I'll have 37 years. Wow. Complete absence. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, a lot of things happen, and uh, I started uh, participating and doing these steps that I they said I needed to do. Mm-hmm. I always thought about my boys. I never made contact. I used to write letters to them through Western Union. We didn't have any, you mm-hmm. know— no computers back then or no Google back then. So I'd write letters, and they never got the letters. I got a phone call. I was about seven years in recovery. Mm-hmm. Seven years, no drugs, no alcohol, living a clean life. And I got a phone call from uh, from a young man. And he said, hello. I said, hello. He says, I said, who is this? He said, this, this is Shane. I says, my son Shane? He said, yeah. Wow. My son Shane was going, this is how the God of my misunderstanding works through other people. He was going out with a young lady from Columbia University, and she said, what about your father? And he said, well, I don't know. He's in place in Florida. She said, you should go find out. And he called me, and I got on the phone. I said, wow. who's this? He says, this is Shane. I said, my son Shane? He said, yeah. I said, really? And I started breaking up. I started crying a little bit, and um, he said, I want to come see you. So I gave him sent money and everything. He came to see me and uh, he'll be forty eight in July. We've been seeing each other ever since. I That's got, so cool. He's got two kids, I'm my grandchildren, and I I'm, I'm in their life from the beginning, right from the beginning, mm-hmm. you know. My other son came and he's been in my life ever since too, and he's got a, a daughter. So I have three beautiful grandchildren wow. that, I, that I spend time with. I go up to New York mm-hmm. a few times a year, you know. I try to I try to be there, make up for that I wasn't there, you know, because there was a lot of years I wasn't there, Mm -hmm. and you know, that plays a big thing in my my heart, and they're good. I'm going up there in two weeks. I'm going up there to my uh, youngest grandson's having a communion. I'm going up there for that. My life's pretty good. I've had some illnesses in my recovery, you know. uh, in 2009, my back, my neck, everything went out. I had spinal stenosis. I couldn't walk more than 5, 10 steps.
0: Wow. How
1: long did you head clean at this point? Well, it was 2009, so I was, uh, so 15, 24 years. 24 years. 24 years I had that. I had spinal stenosis, real bad. I'd walk a half a block. I'd uh, collapse. Hmm. So I had three surger- three big surgeries. Actually, I had four big surgeries doctors told me it was going to be a long process for healing, but he told me what to do, and I paid attention, and I followed direction. Life could be so easy if you follow direction. Later on, I started taking care of myself. The doctor said to me, you, you need to lose some weight. I says, I'm not even heavy. Mm-hmm. He says, lose some weight. So I lost weight. I'd walk in an Olympic pool back and forth every day, and little by little, things started to happen for me. I started to walk. hmm And I, you know, I I work out, I go to the gym, I exercise, you know, I try and take care of myself, I eat pretty good, not perfect, but I eat pretty healthy, you know? So I I watch myself today, because this is all part of the recovery for me, you know? It's threefold, you know, it's spiritual, physical, emotional, Mm -hmm. you know, so I like to take care of everything in my life. But I do that today. In 2012, the end of 2012, I'm working out in the gym and I pull my groin so I go down to the VA, thank God for the VA, I'm so glad I have the VA. I go down to the VA, they take a CAT scan, they take an MRI, they says, oh, you're groin, you just pulled a muscle, don't worry mm-hmm. about it, but you need to go see a urologist. I said, why? He said, well, we see a little lesions in your kidneys. So I went to the urologist, and the urologist told me, he says, listen, I got good news and bad news. I said, really? What's the bad news? He says, the bad news is you got cancer, you got Renal carcinoma in each kidney. Hmm. The good news is we found it in time, and we can get it out.
0: Well, imagine if that. Yeah, because
1: because this was the type of thing, this type of cancer that you would never know about until it. It Was uh,
0: already too far.
1: Right. So they took it out. I had two surgeries, two big surgeries. The first surgery was a was a clusterfuck, and uh, they had me in and out of the hospital because I had. One of the arteries in my kidneys collapsed or something, and, you know, they had to do special things, and they had to do a lot of other things to me, and I finally got past that, and then they did the other surgery. It came out good, and that took time for recovery also. Mm-hmm. So today I'm good. You know, I'm healthy. I go get an MRI every six months to see what's going on there. I have a little tiny lesion in there, but the doctors, I said, to the doctor, I says, make believe I'm your father and give me the right solution. Mm -hmm. So he says, let's wait, we'll take an MRI every six months, we'll see how things go. So far we've taken a few, and everything's good. So I'm good, and I I, I think I'm pretty healthy for the most part. You know, you get older, things happen, uh, life moves on, and uh, you know, I've done a little bit of some traveling over the years and some recovering, and that's been a blessing. I let a few good ones get away, a few good women got away. Then there were a few others that needed to get away. (laughs) But um, I made some mistakes, and I make a lot of mistakes. Life's about making mistakes, you know. Life's about learning from your mistakes, you know, from your experience, your strength, and hope. And, you know, that's why we're here today, so we can help other people with their experiences, maybe change some behaviors. And uh, I told you about it, my abusive dad. Mm -hmm. So, uh, about 10 years ago, You know, I came down here where I stayed with my dad from 1980, you know, very little at the beginning, and then we were done. He didn't talk to me because I went back in my using and stuff. And about uh, 10, 15 years ago, he, you know, we got close, and my father got sick, and my two brothers didn't want any part of him. Hmm. And my father called on me to ask him to help him, and I helped my dad. We became very close, very close. He told me, I loved you. I just never knew how to show it, son. He says, I love you very much.
0: Did people push you to do that? Or did you just feel like natural to... It
1: just came natural. I mean, you know, all the inventories and everything mm-hmm. i wanted peace in my life and i want peace in my life today with everybody you know there might be a few people out there that i don't talk to i, I don't want it like that i'd like to make peace with everybody i mm-hmm. have I, I don't have any resentments i don't want any resentments i have disappointments and i'd like to correct them but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a person that tries to live with the uh, Today with um, love, acceptance, and forgiveness. Acceptance, love, and forgiveness. That's the way I live my life today. I mm-hmm. really do. You know, I have several men in my life that I share that with. And, you know, and, and it's a good thing. You know, the camaraderie I have today with other people is beautiful. So my dad had passed and I took care of all everything for him, you know. He was a veteran. We sent him up to New York to the veterans thing with the service thing and all that. And and we buried him. And I had peace when he was, he was 90 years old. I don't know how this guy lived mm-hmm. till 90. I told you he smoked with an ashtray on wow. high. And he drank every day from noon to night. So Harry did it, and he was a playing guy, boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So he did it, and he lived till 90. I used to kid him around like a week, to be, He said, Next week. He said, don't shh, shh. He just wanted to make 90. Yeah. And he was a big Met fan. I was a Met fan. We talk sports all the time, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I like all kinds of sports, so we talk sports all the time. I told you I wanted to be a ball player when yeah. I was a kid. That was what I wanted to be, you know, but I chose a tube of glue. <laughs> anyway. And my mom, I took care of my mom, too. They didn't mm-hmm. live together. They were in the same ALF. They didn't know it. Wow. They didn't know they were in the same ALF. Wow. So I had my mom. My mom started to get dementia. Mm-hmm. So she was in memory care. And I took care of her right up into the end. And I buried her. And I took care of that. That's the peace, man. I got peace today. You know, I have a lot of cousins. Mm-hmm. And I, I got together with cousins and everything and and you know it's funny when i was with them they always told me you know brad you were the one you were the one we all loved you Mm -hmm. you know i was just like the bad kid you know you know what's funny about my life today when i came (laughs) into the program the 12-step program i said if i hit the lottery i'll be okay and i would chase money i Mm -hmm. would chase this and what i found out was that what i needed to chase was my insides And when I got my insides right, everything was okay on the outside because, you know, I'd buy jewelry, I'd do this, I'd do that, nice car, that, that. Mm -hmm. You know what? Today I have everything I need and everything I want, and I'm a satisfied customer. I want to live. I want to live, 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 and that's what I want to do. I don't know. There's really nothing else to say. I could say that, you know, the most beautiful thing in the world is when you call up, you know, you FaceTime your grandchildren, mm-hmm. and you're on the phone with them. You know, and they say, "Grandpa, I love you, Grandpa. I miss mm-hmm. you. You're coming for my birthday." You know what? What could beat that? Yeah. You know, so that's all really I got about. I think I covered everything. Yeah. I'll probably get in my car, and I and I and and the battlefield between my ears will say, "Brad, you, <laughs> you left should, that you out. And yeah. you left that out." Mm-hmm. But
0: let me. I, I try to ask everyone this. You know, you've been clean a long time. What do you think is like? something that you see that uh, is a determining factor of people staying clean versus going back out?
1: Well, I think that when people are here for a while and they see the beautiful things that could be accumulated, okay, Mm -hmm. friends, not being hungry, being able to eat and be able to socialize and being able to have your self-esteem back, Mm -hmm. who wants to lose that? I don't want to lose that. You know, when I came in, my head was down, and I didn't feel too good about myself. I was alone. I was alone. Today, I'm not alone. Today, I talked to uh, 15 people before noon. <laughs> yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. I try to uh, go to a lot of different places and share a lot of different things with a lot of people today because if I was out there today, I'd be dead. There's no doubt in my mind.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: No doubt people are dying every day you probably see it more than me because yeah. you know where you're at you know mm-hmm. you know i'll just keep coming Hey,
0: they thank you so up much the first one i appreciate you brad love you your story is amazing thanks this show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program if you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction please find a local 12-step meeting if you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind please call 833- 9991877 to speak to a specialist. This show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com.